welcome to Waiting for Review. This is the first episode of Season 3, and Season 3, I'm actually taking the show in a brand new direction. So instead of the show now being about interviews with people from around the iOS community, the show is actually going to become closer to the type of show it started out being. And I'm joined now by a co-host, Daniel Yilg. Hello, Daniel. Hi, how are you doing? All good, thank you. We will catch up every fortnight and we will talk about our independent iOS projects, our various things that we're working on in that regard. Daniel is the developer of Telemetry Deck, analytics that is not evil. And I'm currently hacking away on a bunch of different iOS-related side projects. To introduce myself a little bit more, if you're just joining the show for the first time, my name's David Wood, and I live in New Zealand. I am an iOS coach by day, looking after a brilliant team of developers here at a company here in Wellington in New Zealand. And by evening, spare time, any other time I can find, I'm hacking away on my own iOS projects outside of all of that. I've got a few apps in the App Store. They generally kind of are orientated around working with video. So one of my apps is a live video mixing app called GoVJ. And all of that keeps me pretty busy, to be honest with you. Um, Daniel, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, uh, I would love to. Okay, so hi, I'm Daniel. I live in the south of Germany with my wife and two cats. Um I used to be a CTO and lead developer for various like server-related and iOS-related apps. And I recently took the plunge and started my own business. Uh, you already said it's called Telemetry Deck and it's like an analytics service for apps. Um, and so this has been eating a lot of my time. It's not yet a profitable business, but we're very much getting there, me and my co-worker. Um, I usually don't work on apps that have anything to do with uh, video because um, that's like hugely interesting to me, but I just like that's not my specialty. My specialty is more like um, moving like huge amounts of data around, finding statistical correlations in there. And I try to make good user interfaces, um, but you be the judge of that. Um, <laughs> and of course I had, um, I had to find someone to podcast with who lives on the exact other side of the world. So I'm going to, I'm looking forward to, um, to finding time slots when we can record, but so far it, it's been working. Okay. I think. I think so. Yeah. It's always difficult recording between New Zealand and almost Anywhere that's not the west coast of the states, in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, but I think we can make this work. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward so to it. Um, and to add to that a little bit, uh, I've been I've been a guest on this show before. Uh, yes, David has been very kind to invite me um, twice, I think, to yep. chat about my projects. And it's been so nice and we got along so well that he seems to have invited me to have a more permanent role on the podcast, which is yep. very, very nice. And I'm very happy to be here. Yep. Just wanted you to stay. It's uh, It's been awesome catching up with you before. And 
I think for people who've been listening to the show for a long time, when the first show first started out, it was myself and another guy called Dave, um, David Knott, uh, who lived in the UK. And we started that off in se- for season one together. And I've missed having a co-host, to be honest with you. So finding that in yourself, Daniel, has been really quite cool. That is really nice. Yeah. I used to have a podcast in German with a good buddy of mine, Florian. Um, but that's been ages and ages ago, and I've missed podcasting, so it's good to be back. The format of this show, I think, Daniel, as, as we've been talking about before mm-hmm. we started recording, I think we're looking at catching up for a little while, talking about things that we've got going on, and then probably leaning into a topic or two around iOS development or server-side Swift, for example, which I know is, is an area you're quite deep into at the moment. Mm-hmm. and um, I think generally we'll just see how deep we can go with some of this stuff at times. But honestly, I think just to, to prime the listeners, we'll, we'll we'll just try and keep it sort of these this two-part sort of format, and we'll see where we land. We do. Um, and that is also because I like podcasts that have a certain amount of, you know, structure in them. Like, they shouldn't be too too rigid. But there should be like a general idea of like, okay, the, usually the podcast starts with this and goes into this and ends with this. Absolutely. Yep. So I think to get started, Daniel, I need to ask you, mm-hmm. what have you been up to this week? That is a great question. The thing is, I love being a programmer because um, I love I love like working on these deep um, these deep technical problems and like really going going way down into the into the stack and understanding what the what what everything is doing and what libraries I'm using maybe but I have to understand them and just building up in my mind like an, a model of uh, how the code works what the computer is doing and everything like that and I have been doing exactly zero percent of that in the last week uh, because um it's about like this week has been about marketing so far, right? Um, because it turns out that if you are trying to start your own business, writing the code is an important part, but it also you also have to get the word out. And yeah. as for many of my fellow or our fellow software developers, it's hard for me to to self promote. Because I think like, hey, I'm, I'm, I wrote the thing, you know. I'm like, you should decide decide on its own merits if it's good or not. Yeah. And I don't want to like beat my own drum because it feels, I don't know, it feels dishonest, maybe. Because yeah, I know I the thing has that. flaws. Why should I present it as something flawless, right? Um, I'm trying to do it anyway, and I've been reading this really good book called uh, Traction. It's by the um, by the founder of DuckDuckGo. And awesome. he says basically you have to split up your time if you are if you're a technical founder, which is kind of what he describes people like me as, and then you should split up your time like fifty fifty put between uh actual programming and like just getting the word out so that's what I've been right. trying for the last week, and um the first few channels that I'm trying out is. I want to write more articles about um, various problems 
that my product solves. So um, because (laughs) it it turns out that um, in the the documents section on the website for telemetry deck, I wrote an article on how to update a Swift package, which is a thing that our customers need to do because like every now and then we release a new version of that Swift package. And then we can point them to that article and say like, here, just right click the thing and click update because it doesn't update automatically and it shouldn't. But um, many developers never think about their Swift packages and that they release new versions. Uh, And it turns out that a lot of people Google that phrase, like how to update a Swift package and land on that article. Oh, wow. Right. So what I did was I I added like a little sidebar to the article that kind of says, hey, um, by the way, we're telemetry deck. And if you not only want to update your other packages, but also add another package that gives you analytics without compromising user privacy then just like here free sign up you know and yep. um so one thing i've been trying is like i'm gonna write a few more articles like that um that answer questions like how do i actually find out how many daily users my app has that is a question our service can answer but if i write an article that says okay First of all, you need to use our service, but then second, you can use this kind of query to find that out and put that on your dashboard. Yeah, I think that's helpful for new users, and also it will help our Google rankings. <laughs> so that, it's kind of like a really twofold makes strategy. A lot of sense. Yeah, that's that, that's totally cool. I can imagine because um, one of the advantages that I can see with Telemetry Deck is that if I put that into into my new app. That, I, that I'm going to be launching, um, I could start to see user figures and everything else before the App Store gives them to me. Right. Right. Because Telemetry Deck is within minutes. It's just there. Um, it is, yeah. Whereas, yeah, the app, the app stores, I've got to wait for everything to sort of tick over across the various different zones and everything else. Um, I still don't feel like I fully know exactly when to predict that, giving me proper data. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm getting yeah. a feel. I'm getting a feeling for that because it turns out, as someone who is um, creating software that will give you, like, try to give you as real time as possible your numbers, it turns out it's way, way easier to to calculate these numbers once once a day at midnight or whatever. Yes, and then just give you the cash numbers. <laughs> it's like way <laughs> easier. Um. But one of the things I appreciate about your product is obviously it's it's quicker than I'm going to get out right. of the app store. Um, so I wonder I wonder if there may be something there about um, writing about launching an app with analytics from the get go. Ooh, um, that's nice. Yeah, I'm going to look yeah. into that. I'm not writing it for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. You've been you've been giving giving me so much inspiration and ideas. So that's really nice. Um, another thing that I've been working on that is a bit technical is um, me and my co-founder, we've also tried out some Twitter ads. And um, I'm not sure if they work. Um, we, we just mm. put in like 50 euros and said, said like, okay, let's write a tweet that goes to a sub page of the website. And then yep. that like gives you all the benefits and gives you like a sign up button and then you can sign up for free and we've had a few signups in that week that this has been running 
but we have no way of knowing if they come from the Twitter campaign, which seems like a beginner's mistake. So I've been thinking about like how can I track these things without tracking users because that's our whole thing, right? Yeah. And I think I found a solution where I um I give like a source parameter where it's just like source equals Twitter campaign one or whatever. And then yeah. I'm just going to pass that through in the URL until we go to the registration. And the registration already sends a telemetry signal that just contains, uh, that doesn't contain any like user identifiable data, but it does have a payload. And then in that payload, I can also add source equals and then whatever the source thing says. So in the end, in my analytics, I'll be able to see a breakdown of like, okay, we've had, I don't know, 20 registrations from source Twitter and yeah. then two registrations from source Google or, or something like that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and I hadn't really thought about that, that the fact that you want to be um, private with this data means that you can't necessarily just do what everybody else does at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I like you could argue that um, it's, it's different. The thing that we do with our actual customers is different than the things we do with our customers' customers' data, you know? Because yes. we promise our customers that their customers' data is, like, private. But it still feels a little bit dishonest, and it feels like a very good idea to try and dog food our own stuff as much as possible and see, like, what is possible with our technology, right? I mean, yes. if, if we don't use our own technology, then it kind of defeats the purpose like how can i convince anyone to use this if if i can't can't build a business on it 100 percent, and i think the uh something else there is that once you've done this and laid this out and got the information that you're trying to get to again i think that's something you could write about and people would be interested to hear about too because you know i have ideas for things i think about setting up landing pages or whatever and mm -hmm. um email signups for interest in that side of things. Um, but I don't know if I would know how to go about, like you say, checking your campaigns without being creepy about it or putting a lot of stuff in from various sources to sort of track it end to end. I think I would end up just trying to run things one by one and then going, oh, okay, that happened in the period of time that, that I was doing that. So therefore it must be that. Yeah, that's the general yeah. idea. But people can still yeah. sign up just because they find us on on, exactly. on Google, and also yeah. because they I don't know because they follow me on Twitter and they decide like okay yeah. this guy has been annoying the hell out of me for months now about his stupid product so maybe I'm gonna try it out. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> I mean, fine. <laughs> um. Oh. So yeah, there's there's always multiple channels maybe. So, so yeah. Uh, tracking the source seems to be a good idea that I hadn't thought of before because um, I felt the same way as you, like, oh yeah, we can just like delimit by time. But now that we've we've run this very tiny ad campaign, it turns out that oh yeah, it's not that easy because you always no. have the have the different different uh, channels that what that users use to uh, come into your app as well. Yeah, it's always tricky. I think that that side of it. Um, I'm in the process at the moment of readying my video mixer for, for the, it's, um, it's version two launch. Uh -huh. 
and one of the things I want to do with that is it's kind of similar um, in terms of I, I have no idea why people install my app. Like, <laughs> I know what my app does. Um, you know, it lets you mix two channels of video and the output of it goes off to AirPlay or to a connected HDMI um, device or whatever. And you can mix that video and use it as a backdrop for a band or for a DJ or that sort of thing. Um, people download it. Every so often people pay for the, the in-app purchase to um, give me some money. Mm-hmm. It removes a water, watermark from the video. But I have very, very little idea about who is using the app, how, what brought them there, you know, and, and what, what made them decide to right. to spend money with me. So one of the things I'm thinking of doing is that if you install, after version 2 is launched, when it first loads up, um, I kind of want people to self-segment them, themselves as users. So I'm going to ask them in the app, mm-hmm. um, what what is your, essentially ask them some, something along the lines of what is your primary purpose um, for GoVJ? And they'll have some easy options like I'm a DJ. Um, I'm a VJ who needs an extra feed mm-hmm. for, for my setup. Or there's a few different permutations. I, 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 know my, I know broadly the sort of types of users I think I've got. Um, and I'm probably going to use telemetry deck to do that, to be honest nice. with you. Yeah. Um, I had a bit of playing around with the idea and I think, yeah, this, this is going to be a way of me getting some feedback to sort of say, okay, this, the, these are the types of people coming through the front door and I'll give people the option to skip it or to potentially an other option as well, because sometimes if somebody is so motivated to say, yeah, you don't know me at all, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. that information is going to be gold. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, and again, I may do something where I can kind of feature flag this and turn it off if I think it's just annoying people. Um, but I think for me personally to run this for at least a month or so to try and get some info, it's going to be quite useful. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to having that. that Very as nice. So is, is that what you've been doing the last week? It's not. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what have you been doing last week? Um, let me think. It's been busy. It has been busy. So in my day-to-day job, which is, I can't go into the products that we do, but um, we have a new product, which we're trying to prepare like some sales information for it. And out of nowhere, I got uh, pulled into a meeting, which then became a video preparation. And I've recorded a voiceover video as I'm screen sharing and talking around what our product does. Um, and that is now going to be being used as part of our, our sales information when we're going <laughs> nice. out to different businesses. Yeah, <laughs> which I did not expect. Um, that that was yesterday. That was out of the blue, and I think, to be honest with you, doing things like this podcast probably helped me to be to be any use in that situation. <laughs> um, so that was fun. Uh, not not coding, not uh, helping other people code, but talking through what our what our app does. Um, yeah, so that, yeah. that's a thing. 
Sounds very cool. Um, like, um, I hope you had like one of those very cool educational video presenter voices, you know. Yeah, I think and so. And here, think... we will now click on this folder. <laughs> the I'm folder has bit, opened. Yes. I think I became just a little bit more BBC somewhere along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been chanting David Edinburgh? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> No, maybe I should. I can almost turn that voice on and uh, <laughs> could just record some short short clips reading my Twitter feed or something, you know. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> You'd make a million bucks on YouTube. <laughs> read read user reviews or something like that. App reviews by users. Oh, that could be fun. Um, no, no. Coming back to more seriously what I've actually been doing this week. So that was one thing. But mm -hmm. code-wise, I'm... I've been laying down some ideas for GoVJ2 around the launch and that side of stuff and just thinking through like my onboarding. And then uh, because I can't seem to focus down at the moment, I've also got super secret, top secret project on the go, which I can't, again, I don't particularly want to go into the nuts and bolts of what it's doing because it's just getting off the ground. But suffice to say, I've been playing with augmented reality I have been um, also seeing if I can master the art of swizzling. So, Ooh. have you come across that? The secret forbidden dark art of swizzling. Yes. Um, I know what it is. I think it's replacing a function that's being called add runtime with your own code. Is that correct? Absolutely. And using the Objective-C runtime specifically to make it happen. Right. Okay. Yeah. On yeah. In Python, it's called monkey patching, I think, and it's way easier because everything is like um, dynamic. Yeah. But I've never done it in, um, in Swift or Objective-C, I think. Maybe once. Yeah. So in, um, in Swift, it's still leaning on top of uh, Objective-C. Mm -hmm. So what I'm using, I'm using a, a library called Interpose Kit, um, which is by, hang on, by Stipeet. Nice. Stipeet? Yeah. Um, so of, one second, let me just bring this up. Yeah, so it's Peter Steinberger's library um of pspdf kit fame mm -hmm. but i believe he went down the rabbit hole of swizzling um and came out the other side a broken and uh, no i <laughs> came out the other <laughs> side uh with interpose kit and um, the beauty of it is is it lets me add hooks onto functions with a nice little um object that i can talk to in swift I don't have to write any Objective-C to go and do anything. I don't even really have to worry too much about um, adding at objc in front of any functions. I can just give it a closure and say, hey, do you know what? When you try and do this thing, you're not going to do that. You're going to run my code instead. Um, that sounds very helpful. Very, How very helpful. How would you go about doing the swizzling without Interpose Kit? You would just whatever curious. the... Yeah, the guts of Interpose Kit itself 
um, are doing this all for you, but you, um, with various different means. I had a go at doing it manually, um, but that was quite early on in my, my hacking process last weekend. So I don't have that code to hand anymore. But um, essentially what I did is I wrote like an extension to the object I was trying to override. So I wrote mm-hmm. wrote a um, extension for that object. I wrote a function with an objc call in front of it so that it could be picked up by the Objective-C runtime. Mm-hmm. And then there was call at some point into uh, when i when when the app delegate starts up i had a call that went and and ran a specific couple of functions that taught to the runtime to the objective c runtime and say hey you're going to run this instead of this okay um but it's not as beautiful as as what is in this library um of course yeah because the 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 way the library that I'm using Interpose Kit is working, if I want to, I can tell that um, Swizzling to stop. So you mm-hmm. can tell it to, to retire itself. Um, and it also, like I said, you can run the original function as well. So you can, um, essentially what I'm using it for is to wiretap um, some functions in one of the um, one of the iOS libraries, one of the core Apple ones. Um, to get me some data that I need, but I don't want to interrupt the way it works as well. Right. So you just want to like catch the catch the data and then release it and again then, and be like, okay, exactly. go on to the normal yeah. ways. And anyway, yeah, like I say, across Sunday um, this last weekend, I sat down with this and I managed to get it working and I'm now getting the data that I wanted. And... Um, it's been a lot of fun. I, this is um, feeding into a, an AR-based app. Very nice. And yeah, it's um, it's starting to come together. It's an idea I've had for a very long time. And at some point on the show, we'll get into what it really is. <laughs> <laughs> but I want a bit more, um, <clears throat> a bit more meat on the bone before I get into all of that, really. Um, but yeah, it's been very, very fun. And... I'm starting to become more and more convinced that augmented reality is uh, is is got legs. Um, right. Um, I I mean, like, there's a lot of um, rumors going around that Apple will release a headset. Yes. Even though I think it's been moved to next year now, according Apparently to Mark so. uh, German. Um, yeah. I've been meaning to ask you, this is not in the show notes, but like this is just coming to my head and I've had this question for ages. You as someone who very much believes in AR, VR, what is your imagined killer feature in the future? Is there a killer feature or is it just like a a heap of tiny, nice additions to our comfort? comfort? I think it's the latter. I think it's what you Uh just said there. So I think it's the potential of a lot of small things adding up together. So I think as an example, like the promise for augmented reality to me is, so if I've got glasses or a headset that's good enough, um, when I'm using my my regular computer setup with my monitor, for example, mm-hmm. it's enhanced. You know, I can have notifications that hover just above it rather than in, in on the screen. Okay. Um, 
maybe I don't even need to have that screen at all. Maybe. Right. Why would you need a monitor? Exactly. I mean, there may be comfort factors or other things going on with this where it adds up to being certainly the first few versions might be better mm -hmm. as being things that you use alongside your existing technology, for example. Um, so maybe there's iterations to this, but I think it's that ability to have something just a bit more and to play with the environment around us mm -hmm. um, in a way that we can manipulate. As developers, for me as a developer, it really appeals because I think this is going to be the convergence of mobile computing with spatial computing, I guess, for want of the right phrase. Um, computing that is aware of where you are in the environment around you. Apple has done a lot of work for that because like even a few years ago, um, you wouldn't have been able to place 3D content into a video screen properly because you'd have to have a lot of heuristics and stuff like that to, to find stuff. But now all the phones have yeah. LiDAR, you have ultra-wideband that can place your location inside an, an apartment or a house very um, very closely. So, yeah, yeah, that's been helping a lot too, I guess. Exactly, yeah. So I think it, it's, it is that latter of the two sort of summarizations you had. It's not a big bang that necessarily mm -hmm. is the be-all and end-all, but I think it could add up to that with all these, all these things coming together. Um, so, you know, whether it's it's replaced my screen or I don't need to have um, so many screens on my desktop because mm -hmm. actually as long as I've got one good one, the AR layer has given me a lot of average ones around it or however <laughs> that works out. Um, but then it, it could be more than that. You know, if we've got, um, if I've got lenses over the top that are able to give me pass through to the environment around me because of the camera array that they've got on mm -hmm. them, is there the potential there for me to actually have that dynamically adjust for my eyesight and provide me with a level of focusing that my eyes need? I've got an astigmatism Ooh. without me needing to wear my glasses or to put contact lenses in to wear them. Can it adjust Assistive for that? Assistive technologies. Yes. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. That's very nice. Um, does this then give me the power of like, um, supervision at some point if the cameras are good enough on the front can i just dynamically zoom in on something mm -hmm. you know all of the stuff we've got at the moment that dropped with ios 15 about um recognizing text from images well all of a sudden maybe i've got something that when i'm not quite sure what that thing in front of me says i can just have it scan it and then mm -hmm. siri reads it back to me or I can make it big enough for me to see properly. Sort of so, like right now you can use your AirPods in combination with your phone to help you hear things. Like I think they will re like like play it back louder. Yes, yes um, exactly. So that would be like another assistive technology for people with um, bad eyesight. Like yeah. us too, I guess. Yeah, so th there you go. I can, I can think off the bat of, of these sort of each one of them is, is potentially a specific case or what feels like a bit of an edge case. Mm -hmm. But then when you converge it into something that you might be using more generally, you know, I use my glasses when I work because actually that's my screen or, you know, I've bought them because 
I don't know, maybe there's going to be some level of fashion to this as well. You know, people buying them just so they can play with pretty glittery effects <laughs> buy, as they go down the street. Buy the new frame by Apple. It's called an iframe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> For your eyes. It's like, uh, it's like it's like four times the 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 price of a normal frame for normal glasses, but mm-hmm. it has I don't know Corinthian leather. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I nice. think so. I think there's promise there. I think there's promise to change the way mm-hmm. we we relate to the way we relate to our computing and our devices to some degree, and I think there's potential there for the assistive side. And then I think the assistive side has the potential, if it works well, to also become something that people start using regularly, even though they may have not had a particular assistive need. Right. You know, like, for example, if if, the example I gave about being able to to enhance something or zoom in on something or whatever, there's uses there for everybody. Of course. Depending on what's going on. So... And even like situationally, like maybe I get night vision or maybe if I am very tired, like my eyes are worse than when I'm just fresh and awake. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it's um, I'm driving along and it's actually highlighting hazards for me. You know, things like that. that. Yeah. It's so a lot of this stuff is all very, you know, in the ether at the moment because Mm -hmm. there isn't this technology in front of us to play with but for me personally i feel like that's where some of the promises with this it's that can we almost get to the stage where we can give ourselves kind of superpowers with this stuff you know nice do you think uh in like 10 15 years or so that tech enthusiasts like us will we still have phones like i don't i'm not talking general um, populous because i mean things move mm-hmm. slowly but like these these people who like us who would like to have the new tech all the time um will we still have like phones as we know them today i'm really unsure really really unsure um i don't think the phone's going away anytime mm-hmm. soon to be honest i think even with the best glasses in the world it's not going to be an overnight thing and i'm not sure everybody would want to use their use that environment all the time anyway. I think this might be something that we dip in and out of. Mm -hmm. Um, I certainly see the possibility of being able to use like a watch with cellular plus the glasses and not really need a phone for a lot of things. Um, People like us? uh, I don't, I really don't know. I think I'm more likely to still have a Mac than I am my phone in some ways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it, it, feels the same to me to be honest um especially if the technology is good enough that you don't need a screen in front of you at least for like casual use then why should i carry a screen around um if the the headset if the glasses can can do that already i mean there's a lot of like there's lots of different questions that need to be answered and that need to be thought about that um, we don't have an answer for yet, and especially I, I don't know if Apple has an answer to them yet. We'll see when they release their thing. Like the whole privacy thing. Like I remember when Google Glass came out, and I was at WWDC, and there were a few people uh, walking around with Google Glass on them, and it made me really uncomfortable because whenever they would look at you, you'd have a camera pointed at you, and that just feels yeah. weird. Yeah, and I mean, 100%. I can't. 
totally understand the 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 feeling that I want to try this out. I want to really give this a shot, but for for everyone around those people, they like they they were just like the. They had this super weird feeling. Everyone kept calling them uh, glass holes. Yes, I remember um, that. The, there were bars that banned them as well, weren't there? there right. Were a couple of bars in San Francisco. Especially in San Francisco kind of because like, yeah. there's just too many nerds in San Francisco. And um, yeah, I, I wonder how they will solve these kinds of issues or if it's just like a case of society will just get used to them. I really don't know about that. I think that there will be some of that for sure. Um, I think the first iteration is probably going to be more about LiDAR than cameras. If mm-hmm. you think about what Apple's going to do, especially, I don't think they're going to want to cannibalize their camera sales from the iPhone overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And if you think about the way the watch is, the watch um, is still just the device that accompanies the phone. Right. So I, I think... But I mean, we're, they, we're, they are taking steps to make the watch more independent. Like the watch has its own store now and you can set it up without using the phone. Yes. And And to kind of argue against your point, I think that if anyone wants to cannibalize uh, an Apple product uh, or the sales of an Apple product, Apple wants that to be Apple. And yes. I feel like they did the same with uh, by, with replacing the iPod with um, with the phone. Like the iPod is now a, a feature on your phone, and yeah. so I wouldn't be super surprised if they try to do the same with the headset. Like once it has like a certain stable footing, and it's like clear that oh yeah, this is an actual product that is going to be successful. Um, I wouldn't be very surprised if they push hard towards this thing will eventually replace your phone because we'd rather destroy our iPhone business ourselves than have it destroyed by someone else, like especially by Facebook, a.k.a. Meta. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see Apple doing that, but I, I think it will be, uh, I think it'll be a more gradual set of changes mm-hmm. than, than than immediately being like, no, this is where we're going. Right. Um I think if you think about like the the track that the watch has taken over time, mm-hmm. I think the, anything glasses wise is going to fall into that that same sort of track. Oh yeah, maybe um, even even slower. Like the watch took yeah. a few years, and now it's it's like its whole sales curve is pointing upwards like hell. Yeah. And I think the glasses might even be slower in gaining traction because it's such a like it's such a um, it's an expensive device. And it'll gonna like you're gonna have to change the way you use things. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th- I think it'll be a, a a series of of kind of increments with it mm-hmm. until eventually it becomes a bit of a like the move to being without the phone right. will kind of have already happened in some ways. So. You'll see that it'll be it'll happen uh, by the market rather than than anything else. People will, if if the if something like the glasses are working properly mm-hmm. and and people are really getting into them, then they will prioritize buying those and they will slow down on upgrading their phones. For example, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, and then this this cycle that um, a lot of people with the early iPhones 
we were on annual upgrades in a lot of ways because the features were coming down you know, thick mm. and fast every year. And I think a lot of people now, the default is really two years at least before they sort of consider upgrading their phone again. At least, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, of course, like podcasters who, I don't know, who get a phone every year because they want to talk yep. about it and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, like just like thinking about a return on investment kind of thing, you don't need a new phone every year. To be no. honest, I don't think I've bought a new phone the year after I bought the previous one ever, or maybe once. I did it a few times. I did. Um, so I went from the 3G to the 3GS, but mm -hmm. yeah, there were reasons, actually. <laughs> um, my phone company, the, who I paid a contract to at the time, um, had had some sort of glitch on their system, and I was eligible for an upgrade too early. Oh. So I thought, yeah, that's nice. And my wife got the 3G and I had a 3GS. Nice. Yeah, and then I think I went 4S to the 5S, skip the mm -hmm. 5. I'm just trying to think. There, there was, And then I went from a 6 to then a 7 and then had quite a break and then had the 10R. So nice. there's been a few times where it's been every year for me, but... Yeah, I, I uh, that... think just from your your list, like we've never had the same phone. <laughs> I've got a twelve at the moment, so um, I have a twelve Pro Max, so the large okay. one. So we're in the same um, year, at least. Yeah, that's something. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was I was three G. That was my first iPhone, and I was like so happy about it. And then yeah. four, and I I was on the non S years. I think I was like four, and then five. Um, six uh, plus, skip the seven, skip the eight, and it was like went to the 10, and then then from the 10 to the 12 now. Yeah, that's uh, I think we've just dotted around each other over those years. <laughs> <laughs> so between us, we've everything covered basically. Yep, we're like one complete podcaster. Ah, <laughs> uh, I, I, I would like to get back into the, a place where I could have the the latest phone every year because mm -hmm. everybody in my household gets the hand-me-downs as well right so i can rationalize it in a sense of it's not just me that benefits when i upgrade you know my wife gets a new phone or one of my kids gets a new phone or it cascades for all of us and everybody kind of gets a new phone mm. um there, there is some rationalization there but also having said all of that the devices are provided the battery's not gone then they're still holding up really well for quite some time afterwards and oh yeah you know i don't think um i think we've reached a stage now with the phone where there's got to be a major pull factor for the upgrade to happen happen um mm -hmm. you know i mean yeah for me it was the fact that i wanted to get to a, a, a twin camera setup at least um, just so I could play with that sort of photography a little bit um, and, and some of the things that having more than one lens does because the 10R only mm. had a single lens. Um, but in a lot of ways, if I just put a new battery in the 10R, I perhaps didn't need to upgrade exactly when I did. You know, it was... Oh, I totally get that. Like, um, I think the cameras, camera and the battery is 
uh, are the two pull factors for me as well. Um, the battery, especially like I, I usually get Apple Care, and that means that um, I think I can replace the battery even like two years after buying it. So I think that that's what I did with my previous phone. Like um, after I want to say eighteen or twenty months after buying it, um, the battery battery was um, below eighty percent. So I went to the Apple Store and they and asked, "Hey, do I need to pay something or?" can you replace that battery? And they were like, yeah, whatever. Like, we're just going to replace <laughs> it for free. And then it's almost like having a new phone. And yeah. the same with my 12 now. Um, the battery is now at 81%. I just looked it up a few days ago. And um, other than that, it's still very much perfect. So I think I'm going to try and get the battery replaced at some point in the future. And then let's see what the 14 brings. But maybe this will take me to the 15 or 14s or whatever but yeah batteries are the main thing like all my all my <laughs> things now have have the batteries being die, dying like i have the original Air, airpods pro those are like the like just like the time i can use them is decreasing all the time same with my apple yeah. watch uh i have the the six and uh this last year's right yeah um yeah yeah um, so I and that that as well, like it, it kind of only lasts for barely a day. If I, especially if I done if I've done a workout or yeah. something, I've got a five and I have to charge it every night. So, yeah, yeah. yeah at the beginning, you only have to charge them twice, like every every two days, and it feels like wonderful. And especially <laughs> like last year, I used to do all these very long bike rides where you might I'd be on the bike for like six hours, and the watch would take it no problem, and. By now, I usually have something like Strava running on my phone alongside the watch because the watch will inevitably lose battery on these long trips, and then it just like it won't save the trip at all. Or sometimes it will like after it boots back up, it will like save like part of the trip or something. Right. But yeah, I don't want to rely on that. Yeah, they don't last. They just don't last. And I think that's something we're going to have to watch out for. Coming back to where we were talking before, with any glasses type of technology um if we're talking you know two thousand dollars or whatever i've seen rumors of three thousand dollars for these Mm -hmm. things um that battery's gotta either last longer or there's gotta be a better replacement and where will they put it but because even if it's a thing that you snap to your head so not like glasses or something but an actual vr headset batteries are heavy and yep. I mean, you could like try and counterbalance the weight on your forehead by hanging it on the back of your head or something. But yeah, that's not going to be too pleasant. And no. if they want to make it very light, then it's going to be a small battery. Yeah. So maybe this is a connected device of some sort, but mm-hmm. we will see. And that's the other side of this game for me is there is that whole mystery and mystique about well what are we going to oh, see yeah, what are they exciting. doing you know i mean you're yeah. right it could be just a thing that you plug you plug into your mac using usb or something yep and or then it could the even power have problem a, is solved for now it could have some sort of magsafe thing on it even or something Ooh. like that but yeah um who knows i think to 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 wrap this this up daniel mm-hmm. my theory with with the glasses though is that when they announce them i believe that it's going to be one more thing 
mm-hmm. because we haven't had a one more thing at WWDC now for for some time. What was the last one? Was it the watch? No, the watch was on thing. It was not one more thing. It was like we have something new for you. Yeah. Now, I feel like I feel maybe if if this is the year, and that's a big if, um, then I feel like we will have, you know, a damn good keynote. Everything looks normal. Incremental upgrades on everything. Stuff is looking broadly where the, where we expect it to be. And then that'll be it. They'll they'll pause. Tim will come back on, and then it will be one more thing. And boom, there you go. There'll be be some sort of demo that that blows us all away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be exciting, definitely. 